Hi, this is the next episode of the Grumpy Old Quarters, and uh, this is David, and uh, with me is Thomas. Hi, hello, Thomas. hello, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. Oh, actually, I was already better in the past, uh, well, how we would say in yeah. German, <laughs> because I actually COVID. Got, got COVID. Yeah, yeah. Got COVID. It's not so good. So uh, 10 days after the isolation, I still have some slight symptoms, uh, and uh, yeah, Anyway, uh, I tested decadive, which means I can leave the isolation. And you're feeling sure how better, hopefully. I feel better, right? Yeah, it was initially like a like a kind of flu, I would say, right? And now it's much better. It's more like a like a cold. So what is left is more like a cold, and instead of a flu. Anyway, it was not fun, let's say, right? No, uh, no, it isn't. Uh, finally, I got it. Right, I'm not sure where I got oh, it. Was this your or... first time? Yeah, actually, I, oh, wow. I kind of managed to not get it uh, so far. <laughs> uh, I see. Magically, magically, right? I, I mean, I, 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 I guess one of the reasons why I didn't get it so far was that I got my three vaccine shots, and mm -hmm. even if I got infected, uh, it didn't break out, so we never realized or recognized that I that I had it. There was always a thesis, uh, let's say, that we already had it uh, quite early, right? So for instance since when all the pan pandemic started i was in in vegas right and uh, uh in, las Ve in las vegas and when we came back we we felt very horrible let's say right so mm. um, so not everything in las vegas stays in vegas eh <laughs> <laughs> not everything no yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly, but um, any anyway, I would say then I got my vaccine shots and um, didn't have it, uh, at least not proven, uh, right, mm. that I had it uh, in between. And then, yeah, at the beginning, the test stuff was not that uh, good yet. No. So meaning I it was never proven that I had it before. So this is the first time that I actually saw something like those rapid tests or uh, turning turning positive right i i already started to to believe that they are not actually accurate right because uh, <laughs> whenever it's a bit strange whenever you use it right and then you you know you use it and you think hey this is a good thing that this is showing negative but on the other hand side you think yeah but i i took already something like over the course maybe 50 tests or whatever and i never saw something like a positive result so you start to doubt so are that, they actually uh, working yeah. uh, are they actually working <laughs> uh, is, are they accurate or why I, I mean even if other people around me had it right we we didn't have it so kindergarten school there were covid cases right and uh, the the only family which was not impacted was ours uh, kind of <laughs> right but now uh, i mean uh, you shouldn't be uh, now yeah. you have it no no that's that's done yeah my wife works in a school so she she brings everything home that is going around so i think i i had it at least twice that i've tested but i was i was vaccinated double or triple vaccinated so it didn't hit me all that hard so that was all right and i already got an invitation for the fourth shot the autumn booster because yeah. i am yeah, I was invited because I am either over 65 or have an underlying health condition. So there yeah. you go. So, <laughs> so, so I, the second thing is, yeah. It's the second, but, so, so I get I get the fourth shot too. 
Yeah, it would be the same for me. I need to see, right? I mean, when they start in Germany to to give you the fourth shot, I think it's not yet there for for the regular uh, people that don't have health conditions yet. Mm-hmm. But um, let, let's see. Maybe I can skip this because now I'm getting this kind of certificate of or uh, yeah. recovered. You've recovered. Yeah, of recovered, yeah, they call it uh, being recovered, let's say, right? So meaning if I get the certificate, then maybe I can skip the fourth shot because ha- actually having having had experienced it or is, is maybe uh, similar to a vaccine shot, I'm not sure, right? True. I'm not a scientist, so, but I guess uh, what could train your immune system better around this virus to actually have it and survive it. The actual virus. Yeah, that's right. I'm actually, I'm getting at that age where I'm seriously thinking of getting the flu shot as well in the autumn. You know, when I was younger, I was like, yeah, sure, I'm indestructible. I don't need any shots. But now mm, I might take it after the COVID number four shot. Thinking about it. Yeah, I, I will take it uh, probably anyway. Let's see, right? I'm I'm a strong believer in in vaccine shots. <laughs> oh yeah, kind of totally. uh, scientifically inspired. Let's say it's more than belief. But let's not get there. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about today's uh, episode. Besides of uh, talking about uh, uh, COVID and uh, stuff like that. Mm. Um, I thought maybe it's a good idea to talk a little bit about um, enablement. Now people might think, what the hell is enablement and why do we need to talk (laughs) about this? And what has it to do with technical stuff? So we we are going to talk a bit about technical enablement. And technical enablement is, uh, interestingly enough, not something you see in every company, right? Um, But um, there's an increasing amount of, of companies out there that are having enablement teams, right? And uh, let's say one of my responsibilities uh, or some of my projects uh, with some of my customers involve basically doing enablement activity. Actually, there there's a sequence of activities which I did around enablement uh, with one of my bigger customers and um, it's maybe a good idea to talk a bit about it because it's a very interesting topic, right? Um, so now... Let's talk about why, or let's say what what it is, kind of why and what, uh, or how I came to enablement. Actually, is maybe a good because uh, you've good started story. out as as a software engineer and, and and a tester, right? Originally, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I would still I'm I would still say that I I'm by heart a software engineer, but I'm not actually doing a lot of or software engineering right now but focus a lot around training and stuff like this, right? And uh, enablement is more than training. We'll talk about this a bit. Uh, but yeah, the, the story was I, I worked with you together, right, at a company called Ingress a while mm-hmm. back. And Ingress, um, I, I was initially doing QA, then or some merging technologies, software engineering, so kind of certifying partner solutions, creating integration, stuff like this. Um so I would call this the software engineering, even if uh, it's uh, 
it's maybe not by by heart something like building software up from scratch is more it's more integration work it was at least right but i also designed a storage engine at once uh, so stuff like that anyway so meaning i would say i'm i'm by heart a software engineer originally right hmm. however then i i uh, went to the dark side <laughs> let's say <laughs> the dark side meaning uh, consultancy right uh, so what i did is uh a lot of consulting for customer projects, um, so meaning working with customers, um, doing requirements analysis, or developing integrate either integrations or software based on their requirements, basically, right? Mm -hmm. um, had a focus on project management there on my side, or coordinating the work of software engineers, but also coding by myself, stuff like this. I think similar to what you did uh, in the past as well. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, I went into from, let's say, more this traditional systems integration consultancy stuff. I, I went into uh, pre-sales, uh, right? And uh, um, with technical enablement, it's a bit similar to pre-sales. Uh, in pre-sales, there, there is a role which is called solutions engineering, right? So, or solutions engineer, solutions architect. Uh, people might uh, be able to relate to this. And this is also not a, a totally well-defined term, right? So a solutions architect could be someone who is actually working in, in the pre-sales phase of the customer journey, let's say, right? So meaning he is uh, kind of introduced quite early, understanding the requirements of the of the prospect at this stage still not yet customer right and then helps to develop a solution together with the with the prospect which are leverages the product you're selling as a vendor right yeah. so I, I was basically working as a solutions architect for a database vendor right makes makes sense uh, so now the uh, um solutions engineering can also mean something else all right it could also mean that uh, you are basically a person who is quite late in the in the journey right uh, a customer already decided to purchase products or whatever and uh, needs to build a solution based on that uh, so a good example would be uh, i'm not sure how uh, how aws is defining this but you might have an opinion about this so meaning for instance if a customer already purchased or, or committed to a specific or uh, spend of aws right then uh, there you could add a solutions architect there in order to kind of uh, educate this customer now how to actually effectively use this right by mm -hmm. designing solutions based on those cloud services it's yep. different than it's a bit different than pre-sales let's say it's a bit more post-salesy in, in this case right uh, so within the, the customer journey anyway so it's not uh, long story short solutions architect engineer is not totally uh, across the industry well defined right i also uh, had had people in my in my circle that were more called solutions architects and they worked for the customer on the customer side and uh, were more enterprise architects basically right so meaning it's not a well defined term so it depends a little bit how a company kind of interprets this and I would say with enablement or technical enablement it's similar right it's it's not totally well defined it's not like that you can say hey yeah if someone is a technical enablement architect then um, you know, okay, this person does exactly the same as another person who is a technical name and architect, 
right? Uh, the same way as for a solutions architect, could be more an enterprise architect, could be more a pre-sales consultant, could be more um, or a post-sales person, right? Anyway, the, the, the topic is more solutions-oriented instead of, let's say, uh, anything else. So meaning in taking an event here, the topic is enablement, right? So now what I'm going to do is I'm talking a bit about taking the enablement from my point of view, right? And this might be a bit different from the experience of someone else, let's say, right? Mm. Given given this uh, uh, lack of, of definition in a sense. However, I, I hope that the, the definition which I'm ge- giving here is making sense. And uh, yeah, let's come back a bit to this... Uh, to this idea, how did I get to enablement? So now um, you need to understand that I was for a while a pre-sales consultant, so a solutions architect, right? And a solutions architect, I worked a lot with with customers and so on. And at some point, uh, we expected the birth of our third child. And um, I said, okay, solutions engineering is really fun. I really enjoy it. I I think it was a good one. hard to say right but i i guess so based on the feedback i got from colleagues and customers however um i couldn't sustain the travel and and, and stuff like this anymore right so what i did is i said okay fine let's find a role which is a little bit more behind the scenes let's say right not traveling too much working with customers so i decided to go back a little bit more towards engineering and started to work as uh, or let's say I started to to have a project which was more in, in the context of uh, um, performance architecture let's say right and said hey let's let's do more performance architecture stuff um, in the in the wider sense engineering you need to develop some tools had a lot of devops uh, components as well interesting most interestingly so meaning you i, I developed some automation stuff like bring up environments mm. uh, bring up uh, load generators or uh, kind of defining test scenarios or, or yeah injecting this load measuring the the performance uh, and then or writing the other report right um for for different product features right so there was a project i would say would call it a project here um which is uh well, was fun and so on right but uh at some point i was asked hey by by the same uh by my customer right um and was asked hey um David, you, you have some preset experience, right? So you were a principal or solutions architect or in the past, or we, we might have another uh, project there, right? Which is not about performance architecture, but it's also not exactly about presets. It's actually more about um, taking your experience and help others to understand our product better, right? So meaning, and this is how technical enablement was kind of born for me <laughs> in in my world, right? Because it was like, okay, fine. Given that I did already a bunch of performance engineering uh, with with Redis back then, right? Um, the idea was then to say, hey, fine. Um, I can use this knowledge about the product which I gained so far, right? By by kind of setting it up, by kind of uh, orchestrating those tests and so on. And uh, much more, right? Because you need to fine-tune the product and so on. And uh, I can combine this with my with my pre-sales knowledge, uh, let's say, right? And uh, help newly hired or pre-sales consultants to get up to speed 
much quicker, right? With Redis as a as a product, right? Or Redis Enterprise um, as a as a product. So what I did is I, I said, okay, fine. Let's take this project and uh, initially, and this is uh, kind of representing what I think is the the first milestone you need to reach if we talk about enablement is. And this is also, I think, for sales enablement in a, in a sense, not just for technical enablement, uh, is onboarding, ramp up, right? Mm-hmm. So what you need to do is you need to have a program which helps new people to actually learn as quick as possible about something, right? To enable them uh, to be functional in their role, in their job, let's say, right? So what I did is I kind of developed... Um, uh, an onboarding program, right, for solutions engineers or solutions architects initially, right? And uh, yeah, however, this is only one thing you need to to call it enablement from my point of view, right? Um, so what happens after the onboarding, right? After someone is ramped up, what do you do, <laughs> right? So it's uh, uh, you hopefully have a good understanding about or uh, that this person is now uh, uh, well prepared to have meaningful conversations with customers about the product and so on. Um, and when I started to work with uh, with or uh, on this onboarding program, it was actually something which was uh, born out of the what I would call the technical field, right? So uh, the department of solutions engineering there, right? Um, for solutions engineers, right? So, however, uh, as this evolved over the time and became more a topic which was interesting for more than just solutions engineers, right? So, meaning um, after I did this project of uh, creating this onboarding program for solutions engineers, we we had other programs for similar other technical groups let's say right so for instance also software engineers technical support engineers stuff like this right so actually every single technical persona needs to have a good understanding of the product but each persona needs to have a slightly different angle right so for instance a support engineer needs to understand much more about troubleshooting maybe right Uh, a pre-sales engineer needs to understand um, a lot about uh, the the benefits of the product for instance right Uh, in comparison to competing products, right? There needs to be more competitive intelligence uh, baked in. A software engineer, uh, for software engineers, it's a bit tricky, right? Uh, because on the one hand side, you need to explain them a bit about the uh, the context of uh, how to develop uh, a specific component of the of the of the product. However. It's not as simple to to actually achieve this as an enablement team, right? Because you're not by yourself uh, the the engineering team, right? So you don't know the the or the development as good as the team which develops it, obviously, right? So how do you kind of uh, uh, add value uh, by by enabling someone who is actually a core developer? And the the reality is that you do by providing contextual knowledge, right? So they actually are more interested in contextual knowledge. How How is a component in the architecture on which they are working relating to another component of the architecture of a product, right? Um, okay. And uh, how do they need to interface, right? Uh, not just with other persons within within a company, but also um, the, the implications if they change something here, what is the impact on something else uh, somewhere, somewhere else, right? And this is something which uh, you can add as, as part of this anyway. Anyway, so onboarding is uh, one block and I would say this needs to be very persona specific, right? So again, technical support engineer, 
Professions Services Consultants, uh, Solutions Architects, Software Engineer, Software Architect. Anyway, so name it, right? I personally think every single persona uh, should have a tailored enablement, right? Which is tailored towards the job needs and responsibilities. And um, this by itself is already kind of a... Uh, a huge effort, uh, let's say, to get this in place. However, it's, it's already kind of visible that this is no longer something which is driven out of one team, right? It's kind of a, a topic which spans the uh, spends multiple teams, right? Mm -hmm. um, but just the reason that uh, this kind of moved initially, it was more in solutions engineering, it moved then to product, right? And uh, so the, the kind of mandate was then to say, hey, the, the product department is giving, or let's say, um, education about product, out of product, to other departments, let's say, within uh, the company, right? So, good. But okay, back to this initial question, what is after the onboarding? So assuming you have now kind of onboarding programs in place for different technical personas, the, the next question is, uh, how do you kind of continue right and uh, there is the answer continuous education right because it's not just about uh, it's not just about getting someone ramped up is it's also about to keep this person kind of engaged and knowledgeable about your product uh, let's say right so meaning um in, in this case here um it's also important to state i think personally and this is something um I, I I had to learn, and um, but it makes sense if you think about it. I think something like enablement needs to be very closely aligned to the uh, go-to-market uh, process within a vendor, right? So if you do technical enablement for a vendor, then this vendor usually uh, has some processes how they approach the market, let's say, right? And um, at some point in this process, there there is a release of software, right? And this release of software, and here it makes sense that you kind of uh, have a good relationship to the product department uh, within this vendor, let's say, if you do enablement projects, right? Um, because within this process, um, at some point you you just release the software, but it's not just the release of the software, there's documentation which needs to be created, right? Mm. There are marketing campaigns that need to be uh, conducted um, in the context of releasing new, new capabilities, releasing new features and stuff like this, right? And in this context, I think you should also embed the enablement, right? You should also say, hey, um, this continuous education should align very closely to, to this right so when you know okay there is a new ga release of uh, this or that uh, capability of your product right you should also be aware of when this is and should on time provide enablement around it right mm -hmm. to technical persons within the company so that makes continuous sense. continuous technical education is basically a, a big other building block right so ramp up slash onboarding continuous education right now as soon as you have continuous education in place, the next question, and this is kind of a, a little bit of a journey to prof professionalization of, of um, what I would call technical enablement, right, is, yeah, how do I actually assess the knowledge of people, right? 
because i mean knowledge is something you you can't precisely control right you can't say hey i i'm i'm owning this domain entirely let's say right so uh, everyone who works in a in a bigger tech company or in a tech company at all right knows that uh, um, you can't prevent that people kind of explore the the product explore functionalities and then kind of spread the word about it right so meaning there is no no such ownership of knowledge let's say right uh, you you can try let's say to to centralize this to a specific degree but the reality is there will always be there will always be people that are kind of spreading knowledge and this is good this is needed let's say right so it's a uh, it's a it's a it's an important thing however uh, you need to have two tracks from my point of view you need to have or uh, first the the formal track right the formal track is a little bit like okay we provide you training uh, courses we provide our uh, um onboarding programs and so on and this is basically what we would like to to um, provide out of this taking enablement right whereby in addition we accept the reality that knowledge is flying around right and um, instead of kind of fighting with this you need to kind of build up educational communities right you need to participate in those uh, educational communities so in the in the realm of this uh, formal or uh, education let's say i would say that one other building block is this this certifications right as an assessment tool so meaning being able to certify that people know something right so meaning there are different types of certifications uh, you can have a certificate of knowledge you can have a certificate of completion you can have uh, certifications that are cognitively a little bit more challenging by by adding uh, a person into a scenario and let them actually uh, execute on, on a specific task and evaluate this you can also have certifications that are more multiple choice right typically if you start with certifying people you would start with something like multiple choice questions right and then over the time evolve into something which is maybe a bit more scenario based and would kind of uh, align this um, with the uh, uh, within the learning experience let's say right so meaning uh, the first certifications are maybe more simple multiple choice questions that are assessing the knowledge already in an effective way whereby the the later certifications are becoming a little bit more practical and so or put the person into a scenario or simulation let's say right but certification is another bidding block and then last but not least is educational community right and educational community is a very wide field but I would say what I kind of like to uh, do there is to record a podcast uh, for for my customer, right? Internally by kind of encouraging people uh, to to consume other training material, right? By talking about interesting topics, uh, even just grab, grabbing one of the the sales guys and talk about uh, a specific topic how they sell this best or whatever right um, by mixing some technical aspects in might make sense whatever jumps in mind right it's about the community it's not about uh, the topic per se let's say right um, there there are explainer videos um, and training videos which you can record right uh, internally there are yeah uh, little stories for instance i started now to also write some stories right <laughs> just like uh, real stories like hey uh, hey this story with with fictional characters is uh, kind of expressing a specific uh, a journey of a of a customer for instance or maybe a specific 
set of persons within a customer and then I'm mixing some technical stuff in in order to kind of uh, transfer some some knowledge, right? I'm, which I personally, by the way, like very much. I mean, might sound a bit weird now for the listener, right, who is a really technical person. So if a software engineer is listening now and is saying, hey, what the hell? <laughs> uh, should, <laughs> should I read such a story which is proposed to me internally or whatever? I would never do this. It's actually really useful, not just for the 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 in explicitly for the other person it's useful also for for someone who is creating content on the other side right to to develop a consistent story up front right and even if you're not interested in such a story it's it's uh, you might be interested in the resulting explainer video right which uh, kind of uh, follows a specific plot then right a anyway there there's a bunch of content which you create in in order to kind of uh, keep this educational community alive uh, let's say right but again from my point of view there is a kind of evolution onboarding continuous education certifications and uh, as a side task is educational or community building and all of this is what i would kind of uh, describe as technical enablement right so it's not just one project there if you want to see it like that there are multiple projects right so I pause here for a second. Do you have any questions? To <laughs> no, it's it's all very logical. It all it all makes sense to me, and it seems to be yeah, it seems to be an important topic because other companies just have you know that they just do a release, as you say about enablement being aligned to product releases. They just do a release, have a blog post about it, and then let thought parties handle all the other stuff like videos right so for for us for for example our enablement is a subscription to uh, a cloud guru because they do videos about aws functionality and certifications and stuff and that that is it right i'm not saying it's good or bad um, uh, I personally don't it is like what it is. this. I, I don't like this approach. I, I mean, it could. Mm. It, it it is a simple approach, let's say, right? And maybe it works. And uh, depending on how how well this third party works, uh, fine, right? Um, in, I, I mean, it's it's not a bad approach in a sense. But on the other hand, side, what I think is important is that you understand that technical enablement is or. Is internally phasing, right? So it's yes. uh, from yeah, yeah. from our the vendor of the software, let's say, for people that are working for the vendor of the software, right? And it's important to kind of have it like that, because you need to be very honest in, in enablement, right? You you also need to be or uh, skeptical. You need to kind of uh, show weaknesses and and talk about them, right? Because how should someone who is working in presets, for instance, uh, kind of or uh, yeah, find the best solution for for his prospect or customer by by not knowing weaknesses about of the course as well, right? Yeah. It's uh, it's also it's also something which is important, right? So and the the thing with external training material, from my point of view or from my experience, is often tailored a little bit or influenced by by marketing, which is good for external stuff, I guess, but for internal uh, facing stuff, I I think there there is a need to to basically be brutally honest let's say right okay so, that makes sense so, meaning i i think this internal stuff should actually be very direct very straight it should also kind of align with the product message and, and positioning and so on don't get me wrong right but it should 
be very clear about what it is, right? It's uh, it's not the marketing message. It's the it's the reality. Let's say, right? From yeah, a technical suppose, point of view. Yeah, that makes sense. I suppose it's it's because of that particular strange team that I'm on, right? So if if you were in these, let's say, AWS S3 team, surely they have their own onboarding materials that is brutally honest and has all the the nitty gritty. But we as a team that sort of build solution on top of various AWS services. We start from the public documentation and the public uh, uh, knowledge about how these work, right? We, we, we don't touch any internal APIs because we are handing our source code over to the customer. So of course that source code can only access uh, public behaviors of those services makes right. makes sense but sometimes it's it's useful to know how this works behind to, the scenes and all yeah to to, to, a, to know what not to do yeah even though it's documented yeah that's true but the, I, I clearly think that there is a benefit of having this kind of uh, from inside to inside let's say uh, beyond the from inside to the outside let's say and um yeah which brings me to the next topic uh <laughs> in this context because there is more and, and i it was a little bit funny, right? Because when I when I started to to work on on uh, technonymen projects, I was like, hmm, interesting, right? Uh, in a in a sense, this is becoming more and more um, um, a spanning topic, right? I mean, initially there was this onboarding program, then maybe this onboarding program, and so on. But at some point, um, you realize it's actually more than that. I mean. <laughs> What you do is basically you, you. There is a lot of benefit of having something like technonym, and so if startups lis are listening or founders of startups, um, I, I think what I learned or uh, by by doing this is that what technical enablement or enablement in general, right? Not just technical enablement. There's also a thing called sales enablement, for instance, right? Which is uh, having the similar targets from a different angle to enable salespersons about uh, about methodologies, about uh, or the best messaging and so on, right? Mm -hmm. So meaning there are also, let's say, other enablement teams nowadays in in, in companies or especially software vendors let's say and uh, the what they do is at the end they they kind of compensate scale pain so which is also the reason why i i see technical enablement or more within startups maybe right so what you have is initially you as a startup you you start to work by having a, a, a a comparably small sales force, maybe a few sales guys here and there, right? Maybe some solutions architects, and then you win customers and prospects, or turn prospects into customers, right? Uh, you you expand your portfolio, getting more and more enterprise customers, right? You at some point kind of, uh, or yeah, even even start to distinguish between uh, corporate customers, enterprise customers, anyway, right? So it's a it's, a, it's a, the same I've, I've seen with multiple startups I worked for, let's say, right? As as an evolution. However, at some point, you need to kind of grow exponentially, right? So you need mm. to grow more and more your, your startup in, in order to, to cope with what you ask yourself for, right? Uh, you need to kind of have this hockey stick or uh, mm -hmm. uh, revenue growth, right? And uh, what you need to do to a specific degree is to kind of hire new people, right? In order to achieve this, right? You need to invest into it in order to gain the, the outcome, right? So, and uh, what you 
need to do is, and, and this is why I think enablement is is important for startups, right? Enablement as a, as a whole entire topic, right? Is you need to kind of compensate a little bit this this pain of scaling very quickly, right? Let's say, and um, this this pain is associated with knowledge. Let's say, right? If you if you hire someone like five uh, x or salespersons, right? You need to have a process in place which is streamlining those salespersons to be able to sell your product. Let's say, right? You you can't just basically say, hey, I'm hiring five uh, x uh, five times uh, the amount of salespersons within a short period of time, right? And now every one of them knows out of the box how to to sell this stuff, right? To to enterprise customers. Maybe some of them never sold a database system, for instance, mm -hmm. right? And this is the same for uh, for technical teams, right? You, you can't just hire, let's say, a solutions architect and say, yeah, I'm expecting this person to do effective consultancy for his customers, right? By building solutions, by knowing use cases, by knowing how to use this in the right way, right? Um, by by just hiring this person, right? Some are very experienced and maybe they worked already with a bunch of other products that are similar and they will get it. Some others maybe not, right? And this is often also not the criteria of hiring someone, right? So meaning you're not hiring because this this person worked exactly with the same solution. You hire him because he has potential, he is uh, good with technical, technical topics, he is a good communicator, he is, it's, um, for instance, if someone is uh, working for AWS, right? Right now, then um, this person would also be potentially hired by for uh, by Google for Google Cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Because concepts are similar, but uh, nuances are different, right? And you you need to kind of educate about those nuances. Let's say, right? So meaning, at the end, I think what technical enablement does or, or enablement in general is it's for startups and this is why I'm saying hey <laughs> I would encourage every startup out there which is kind of on a, on a growth path right um, to to consider it is it it compensates this this pain of scaling from a from a knowledge transfer point of view right by being able to to educate more people more quickly about the needs for their job right in order to be as quick as possible up and running uh, within the field for instance right wow yeah that makes a lot of sense uh i don't want to overestimate the role of technical here but anyway <laughs> yeah. this, <laughs> this is but i, I it's, I, it's I, more than just cosmetics right i i, I learned yeah. that it's more than just cosmetics i would say but anyway. i never thought about this but yeah you're right this is a growing pain this is a scaling concern the the amount of people you can onboard and you know how much time each of those people needs to onboard because it's a bottleneck right if there's no repeatable uh, uh communication or you know like videos you could watch what happens right they get stuck they they get their information from somewhere and then they may ask someone right they may ask a senior engineer about can you clarify this for me and then this person becomes a bottleneck the senior engineer Right. So, so it's, exactly. it's, in exactly. a way, it's, it's about eradicating those bottlenecks in a way. So it makes a lot of sense to me. Exactly. It streamlines it in, in order to avoid such bottlenecks, let's say, right? And it, I, I hope at least that it gives a, or the newly hired person also a kind of, um, yeah, a 
a kind of structural start into the new role, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. For at least for the onboarding, which is, um, I believe, also psychologically helpful for new hires <laughs> instead of just sitting, sitting yeah. around and not knowing what they need to know, what they should do, and so on, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe slowly start to walk by by kind of shadowing colleagues and whatever, right? I mean, this would be the the opposite, right? And this is what we experienced in the past, right? When I kind of worked for for new companies, it was like, okay, fine. I mean, we we typically you me and others we we know right they we typically jump into cold water and we find our way somehow but wouldn't it be good to kind of leverage already the knowledge of other people that do this job since uh, since uh, five plus years or eight years or whatever right instead of just letting yeah. everyone experience his own uh, stuff right and now if you think this further you need to kind of uh, have something which takes this knowledge out of the the heads of and minds of the people right let it be product managers let be other solutions engineers that be consultants and and uh, condense it into something which is transferable right and uh, this is basically um, for onboarding purposes an onboarding training course right from my point of view followed yeah. by continuous education followed by certifications right and yeah, uh, kind of blended with some some our uh, community education community but uh yeah step back uh, because i'm jumping a bit too much around uh, it's um a topic which i personally are uh, kind of discovered for myself is how important learning experience design is right so uh, because at some point i mean again professionalization right so you you did some of those projects and at some point you you think hey how does this connect to each other right you, you, indeed you can say it totally makes sense to say hey there is a journey from onboarding to continuous education to certification and then there are some blended or or other experiences right like blog articles and so on right that keep uh, people engaged and uh, interested in, in learning let's say right but uh, wouldn't it be cool to actually control this experience a bit <laughs> and now this becomes a bit even marketingish let's say right i know tech people sometimes have a uh, don't like to talk too much about marketing stuff but here in this case it's um, what i kind of discovered is that it has a lot of similarities to to what you would typically do for the the outside or, or facing world right so maybe also some some product like growth initiatives and so on right so it's 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 quite interesting because think about it at some point and this is something i i kind of started to to phrase for myself like that is you should actually see this this those educational services as a product by the by itself let's say right so and now if you do so you get the the same kind of challenges right how did you, do you get people actually interested in your product right how do you convert someone who listens to a podcast episode, right, to a customer, right? Because he enrolls to a training course and and, and uh, takes it, right? Indeed, I see. part of it you can kind of force by a certification and so on, but others you you need to kind of uh, define experiences, right? You need to kind of promote your stuff. You need to um, 
and more than that you need to kind of control experiences is I, I guess the point which I want to make right and this could be controlled by using for instance some email campaigns by having some recommendation stuff mixed in right so hey you be interested in this training course maybe this in training course here is also interesting for you right um, or for you and your customer let's <laughs> say right um and if you think about uh, steering such or controlling such experiences a little bit, right, you, you also can think about uh, the, the reporting, let's say, right? Because as soon as you do, you need to also know about KPIs, right? You need to know about key performance indicators uh, of when is something successful. Indeed, there is something simple like, hey, we know that uh, our people spend so much time with this or that training course because this topic seems to be interesting for them, right? So we, we might need to uh, kind of provide more similar content uh, or we know that people didn't spend too much, which is, by the way, for a company inside, the, so providing this, also interesting to, to understand, right? Because it can be kind of associated with other KPIs they are having, right? <laughs> like uh, <laughs> how much do we sell of this or that service, right? And how much did we actually put into education for this or that service as a in contrast I see. Let's say, okay. right so it's a bit chicken and egg indeed right so meaning something which is successful uh usually implies a higher demand or for education around it uh, let's say right but uh, maybe there's also a, a, a bidirectional relationship there right so if you educate people more about something and and i hate to say this but it's not my wording but i uh, um so Someone came to me and said, hey, this is like being internal influencers, right? Being a technical enablement person is like being an internal influencer because if we if we kind of are push a topic, right, uh, then people know more about it. They are more educated about it in general, right? And uh, if they are more educated, they have a tendency to also kind of... Uh, take it more into account, right? For mm -hmm. instance, uh, for finding a solution within the presets phase, right? Um, so meaning meaning it's interesting, but um, in this idea of learning experience design, the whole topic is that this is less just about one training course, right? This is about designing an experience for someone, right? And measuring how this person kind of observes this and then kind of make uh, some some conclusions based on that, right, in a, in a wider picture or in a wider sense, right? So meaning, for instance, I I started to develop now um, or some, some reporting based on... Uh, um, Okay, I, I mean, I, I work a lot with Redis. I, I used Redis and Redis stack, let's say, so meaning Redis plus some modules uh, for this purpose, uh, specifically uh, Redis JSON and Redis search, right, for, for analytical purposes. Um, so there are aggregation features there, which are kind of helping you to kind of group and analyze stuff and so on. You can do some kind of uh yeah can kind of model some hypercubes there as well but what i did is uh very interest i, I think very interesting is i used a, a tool or uh, called prefect oh, i'm not sure if you know prefect it's actually nope. uh, uh prefect like the the guy from uh douglas adams uh, mm -hmm. for prefect yeah yeah exactly for prefect um so i think this is actually by by intention um so prefect is a is a kind of it's a it's a tool which allows you to to kind of um yeah define jobs or um, etl jobs at the end or elt 
up to you how you use it, basically, right? So what it kind of does is it allows you to to kind of define uh, pipelines and uh, schedule the execution of those pipelines. And I integrate this with, uh, let's say, Redis and uh, um, not just with Redis as the, as the kind of... Uh, in this case, mini data lake, I would say, right? But also integrate with a bunch of other systems, which are kind of producing information about my my users, my students, basically, right? In the context of this learning experience. So meaning I have an integration with our learning management system. I have an integration with uh, with a directory of users. I have an integration with um, um, a web analytics tool, uh, which is kind of tracking the activity of persons and so on, right? And then I'm taking all this information and do a kind of more, um, yeah, more, um, ELT approach, let's say, right? So meaning I'm extracting the data from a lot of sources, I'm loading it into a, the, the central Redis database, and then I'm running some transformations and aggregations on top of it, right, as, as jobs. And then finally, I'm rendering some reports and uh, make them available, let's say, right? And uh, um, all this information, which we are kind of joining and aggregating and so on, right, is all about uh, how users interact actually with training content, blog posts, uh, videos uh, um, and so on right so meaning this is but this is only one building block right another building block um, which is uh, still kind of uh, in development this is another project is for instance uh, building um, an integration for email campaigns right so yeah. hey if I kind of send an email out hey are you interested in this in this course right did this person actually click on this there are solutions like SendGrid for instance uh, out there that can be leveraged for stuff like this did this person click on this and then feed it back and uh, kind of take it into account or by by kind of having another report uh, right by defining the KPIs kind of carefully however the bigger topic here is uh, from let's say those building blocks of technical enablement towards uh, defining learning experiences by anticipating again right the fact that um, you're not controlling knowledge entirely right there there are educational communities out there within your company within uh, yeah there are groups of people that are interested in stuff right so and they they produce or share knowledge by themselves, right? But uh, having learning experiences defined uh, on a meta uh, layer, let's say, allows you to leverage this to to actually go from something more informal and integrate it into something which is a is a formal learning path. If this makes sense, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As you know, I like words, so I had a little look up what prefect means exactly. And it comes from the Latin prefectus, meaning put in front of, as in being in charge, right? So a prefect is something or yeah, somebody yeah. that controls various either other exactly. people or processes. So it makes sense yeah. for your ETL uh, orchestrator. Yeah, ELT in this case, but you can also use it for ETL stuff. Exactly. Yeah, it's. ETL, a, I think the, another option yeah. would be would be Apache Airflow or whatever, right? So um, instead of Prefect, so not don't want to make advertisement for Prefect, but I, I decide for Prefect uh, based on a bunch of criteria. I think it was used by by in another project, um, and um, I kind of fall in love uh, with it. It's Python based. It's easy uh, to develop against it, right? Whatever. Mm. Uh, yeah. 
they also have a cloud service, I believe, right? If you want to get started easily. Anyway, not doing advertisement for, <laughs> for Prefect, but it, it, it's it's also just an implementation detail, right? So at the end, uh, what, I, what I mean is there there are a bunch of components here you need to take into account if you think about taking an implement that uh, are a little bit more like, yeah, Think think about or or this stuff as a product by itself, and then think about how you can raise adoption for your product. Think about how you can measure KPIs that are relevant around your product. Um, think about or um, the the wider picture um, as as value for um, the the your customer, the vendor of the software, if you want, right? Whoever yeah. is is consuming technical name and services, let's say. Right and uh, and kind of try to integrate it nicely um, within their um, within their processes. Especially, I think very important is this good to market process, right? In a, in a wider sense, let's say. Makes sense. Sounds like you're having a lot of fun. Yeah, um, keeps keeps me busy. Say, right? it's a, <laughs> I can uh, imagine a lot of interesting. A lot of interesting stuff happening there. In, uh, and again, initially, you might think, yeah, what is technically name meant? Um, is, this, uh, is this basically uh, a luxury thing or whatever? But again, as mentioned before, I think it's it's actually, and I'm not, I'm maybe I'm biased a bit, right? Because I <laughs> I kind of got this as, uh, as, as something which I like to do and uh, which are kind of uh, is interesting. Um, and uh, again, I evolved a bit more from from doing daily engineering work um, to to doing a lot of training material, but also projects like this integration, KPI measurement, and so on. How, however, in in general, I, I have to say I I I think it's especially for startups important to to have a solid enablement, right? Not just for for the sales guys, also for technical people, right? In order to to be able to scale at the pace they are aiming right that makes sense i mean the scaling is the killer argument here really is it's convinced me exactly so i sold you technically you You did did. (laughs) (laughs) i wish i had the power to do anything about it but Uh, anyway it's it's, (laughs) it's less about that it was more about sharing experience and if we have listeners if we have listeners out there that are actually in technical enablement or are interested in, in learning more about technical enablement, oh then God. just reach out to me. Right? <laughs> recruiting. Are we at that level yet? That doing recruiting. Nah, it's, not, <laughs> it's not called recruiting. It's more like uh, sharing experiences and stuff like That's this. That's fine. Right? That's fine. Only joking. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was very I, interesting. <laughs> I think a, a good way again my my kind of history my explained right is that I I started with this and that project and then it's uh, kind of evolved automatically, but I think um in the in a sense you I I would so what I appreciate is uh, if people kind of understand their target audiences right so meaning mm-hmm. uh, maybe this is interesting as well so if you do enablement projects uh, for different personas within uh, within uh, yeah your target group then um, I I personally like to have people that know this persona very well 
right? So meaning if someone enables technical support engineers, then this person, from my point of view, should know what it technical support engineer does right and uh, by having worked as a technical support engineer actually right and, and I, I think there this is maybe uh, as closing words uh, a little bit right um, I think the benefit here is that this uh, that this out of the box builds up trust with your target audience and this trust is kind of important right because no one who's technical I know at least right likes to just have a trainer right I I I mean, we did trainings together, right, for other people mm -hmm. uh, in the past. And um, I think the good thing about us was that people kind of observed us as not just being the trainer, right? So they, they have seen us already in maybe in other projects or whatever, right? And and uh, so as more as consultants than trainers, I would say, or yeah. I would like to, to call it mentors, let's say. However... There are other people out there, and I'm not judging, right? I mean, this is also sometimes important to have and to, to scale, but um, what doesn't work for me is if I'm I'm having a person who actually has no experience with a specific topic but gives you a training by the books, right? So meaning the, the person has the training material, he knows after he delivered this training to you, right? He doesn't know much more than you, let's say, right? Any single question yeah. basically means that he needs to refer you to, to later. And um, so this is not, this is not, contributing to trust right but uh if you if you do something like technical enablement then the key here is is building up trust with your target audience so meaning if you enable technical support engineers you should have someone who has experience with technical support engineers and i think one reason why by technical enablement this technical this onboarding project for presets uh, was kind of successful is because i was a presets guy, guy by myself right i knew exactly what they are suffering from which problems they have which problems they face by, by working with prospects and so on right so i i naturally could tailor my my material mm. towards them initially right and uh, that uh, makes sense it's, it's also a, a luxury right so you have to find those people you know who want to leave their role and want to go into training not everybody might have the skill set to do trainings and, and stuff so it's it's a tough one. I've I've had many trainings where the trainer, yeah, exactly as you say, don't, didn't know much more than what he taught you. But it's not ideal, but it it worked, right? And I wonder if if that is a luxury, saying that the trainer. Well, you didn't say the trainer has to be like that. You said the person designing the material has to be like that. Yeah, exactly. Right? You or, can maybe distinguish this as well. Um, I would say if you if you do this for the inside, let's say, right, then then internally or so from the company to the company, let's say, right, um, in the, in a sense, right. So inside training, yeah. then it's more important that um, the the person who is designing and giving this stuff is maybe the same, right? Mm -hmm. Is 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 not just a trainer, right? It's it's more observed as a mentor, right? So and and talking about educational community, I think the best thing you can have as as someone who is in technical enablement is 
people reaching out to you and ask you, right, about this or that problem, which they might have with their prospect, which they might have or in this and this case, right? Uh, because it means that you build up some trust alone the fact that they ask you. And it also gives you something back. I mean, you will help them, which gives other people uh, stuff back, right? But uh, important, most importantly, they also give you something, right? Because yeah. they give you they give you challenges they actually face, right? Which can help you develop um, the training as battle. an enablement person, mm -hmm. exactly to to help others to not face exactly the same issues, right? So, so it makes uh, sense. So yeah. it kind of closes the feedback loop in a in a sense, right? This is maybe also in a, another topic. Um, so. Also, uh, I talked already about that you need to have a good relationship to product guys and whatever, right? Uh, in this in this context of the go to market uh, process and motion and whatever, but uh, there, this is also a learning I had, uh, which is maybe was not mentioned yet, is you should find persons that are representing your target audience in addition, right? I mean, it's unrealistic to believe that you know everything just because you did this job already in the past. It mm -hmm. is a good starting point. But you should find people that are actually judging you, right? Very early in the process. So yeah. when, when, when we are create our technical enablement material, we, we typically work together with uh, two groups, right? So we, we kind of declare SMEs, so subject matter experts, and mm -hmm. uh, someone like a product manager is a subject matter expert. Um, if he doesn't know the product, then there's something on, let's say, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, in addition, there are, as a group of persons that, that I call judges, right? It's actually not my invention there. I did read a bunch of books and uh, tried out stuff and so on, but there there is a there is a good book about criterion reference test development, right? Which is explaining how to kind of develop certification programs and so on. And this uh, this book basically also underlines the the the, uh, uh, the the need for judges. What are judges? Judges are people that are representing your target audience, right? So a, a subgroup of the target audience, basically, that are kind of working very closely with you to review your learning objectives, to review your material, to provide very good feedback already, right? To give you some insights into the problems of the target audience when you design your training material, right? Because it's uh, it would be bizarre to think that I know exactly as much about, uh, for instance, the development of one core component of the product, right? As the software team lead of this team, let's say, right? I can't know exactly as much. And it would also be bizarre to think that I kind of uh, have every single customer situation in my mind, which could happen or could be experienced, right? So meaning there are challenges, there are problems you need to come over within in the sales process, within or when you develop stuff, right? There are bugs or whatever, right? There, But I can't know all this shit out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> right it's it's impossible i mean uh, it's not that i i kind of have all or other people that are acting as technical name and architects or for instance right it's uh it's not the case that we can have this all in our minds but we need to have other people that are kind of representing um the the target audience in order to help us to understand the needs better right so in in a sense the the representing the the internal customers right and we call them judges let's say right so they are kind of the interface to the target audience and they are very important when you create uh, content and also uh, certifications and stuff like that that makes right. sense yeah 
anyway, uh, lot, lot of stuff about Tekken 11 now, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, if if anyone wants to know more about this stuff, right, so feel free to reach out to me, right, um, directly. Um, otherwise, yeah, I hope you found this kind of interesting. It was more monologue today. I apologize, Thomas. That's right, okay. That's fine. I don't know much about the topic, so I wouldn't have much to add anyway. It's all good. Yeah, it's a bit... Uh, uh, maybe it's me, right? <laughs> the problem <laughs> is that... <laughs> maybe just talking too much. Anyway. Yeah, we planned one hour. We, we filled one hour, right? I, I hope it was not too repetitive. And uh, yeah. No, Thank you very I much. It. And goodbye. Goodbye.